out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. God, we do. Anyway, look, this week, it is going to be the turn of the guitarist, Peter, or Pete, Bonus, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about everything, life, love, poetry, and so much more. Anyway, look, he starts in the 60s with his musical career and has worked with lots of people, including um, Jim Capaldi, one-time member of Traffic, but also worked with um, Peter Murphy as well. And as you'll gather, as you hear the interview, he has worked and worked, and he's still working to this very day. Anyway, look... I won't bore you anymore. We'll get down to the interview. Um, and after some casual chat, Peter started to talk about his early years. Peter, it's over to you. Well, I I suppose I started out in the 60s. Yes. With my brother Paul when we were kids. We had a group called the Vultures. And we used to sort of roll around on the floor and smash the gear up, you know, <laughs> listening to The Who and The Beatles and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, that's what we used to do. And we used to play blues, Smokestack Lightning, Howling Wolf. You know, we used to, we loved early, you know, blues, American blues. And the Rolling Stones, when they first came out. Yes. That first, that first Rolling Stones album is, is a great album. It's all covers of, you know, Chuck Berry stuff. And it's, listen to it now, it sounds really energised. I worked with Bill Wyman's band for a while. Okay. Yeah, and Bill Bill told me a lot about the you know Nick and Keith. He loves telling stories about the Stones. You know, <laughs> that was a fascinating experience. <laughs> yes. Well, I would imagine. Well, I suppose also because there hadn't been that much that had gone in front of them before them to give them that much of an idea of, of how to put it together. It's not like bands decades later, you know, where you can look back and go, oh, yes, here are some of the ups and downs and pitfalls that we could avoid, whereas they they didn't really have much to go on. It, it was quite a fascinating time. But there was a lot of... I remember there was a lot of gigs, a lot for bands to play. Every little village, every town had a lot of bands in the 60s. There weren't so many, you know, DJs, discos, were a thing that hadn't really happened yet, you know. Yes. So all the bands worked. There was a dance every weekend. And yeah. every local band had a chance so everyone could hone their skills. People were, you know, well, they were good players. Everyone was like a student, you know. Yeah, well, so that... it was a good era, the 60s, for that. I could imagine. Life. Yeah. And I, it did, I, I sort of, you know, looking, if you fast forward slightly, I did realise with the kind of the 80s indie alternative world, a lot of, um, probably not little towns, but most towns and cities would have an, or, you know, an indie night of some description, you know, an alternative night or whatever they like to call it. Yeah. So, you know, now that, you know, people are being looking through, you know, in the last few years, I suppose, I think there's like 
a period of a passing of time, which I've kind of got down to 25 to 30 years, where people suddenly, you know, they've done their thing, they have to get on with life, then they sort of look back through their memorabilia and start putting things together and people start putting books together. There seems to be a lot of books documenting that. And then you realise, oh, yeah, that there was all these pubs and clubs in London and there was, like, Norwich would have a place and then Ipswich had a place. And, you know, I won't go around the whole country, but, you know, everybody would have that night, probably on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, because that's when... You know, I suppose the the owner would say, look, you're not having Friday or Saturday, but you can have those nights. And it would be, you know, when you're 16 or 18, it was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm not having to go to sort of work tomorrow and be on it. I just have to be at school tomorrow and vaguely turn up. So (laughs) We used to drive to Liverpool and do a gig and then come back and go go to work. Yes. But we're about 16. (laughs) I know, you can do that sort of thing at four in the morning. We had had like a 10-piece band. Well, Tom, I was about 17. I was in a band from Corby, actually. And we we hooked up with this record company in London called Contempo. And they used to bring American soul acts over, you know. And um, we got to do a whole load of, you know, Northern Soul tours and all sorts. First Choice and Major Lance. Loads of people, you know, Jimmy Ruffin. Yes. All these people. That's how I started out. And, and we we toured with them, you know. We we discovered touring yeah. very early on, very early on. So how did which you? Which was great fun. Yeah, oh. great fun. Well, it... great band actually. Yeah. So what was the name of that band? They were called Granite, and they they were from Corby. <laughs> They're all uh, <laughs> hard rock was, <laughs> but I mean they were all jazz musicians really, and I was the young kid, you know. Yes. But they taught me a lot. And from that, I got a load of other gigs, the Fantastics, you know. Yes. Something old, something new. <laughs> I so, played that every night for a year. <laughs> yes. I went mad. I would imagine. And then moved to London. Yeah. And so, started a jazz rock band. So, just where were you brought? Where were your? Where was your hometown? Bedford. But then I, I moved around, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I joined the Fantastics, which was 1973. I um, didn't go home for a year. We just played every night. Yes. You know, they do a week at a time in a club. We, you know, we, ne- we didn't go to America, but we went to places like Jersey and Belfast. We went to Belfast, played in the Abercorn Club. Mm, which got, you know, that got blown up. <laughs> it was, that was, I heard a bomb go off in the hotel one morning, you know. It was pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, well, there was but also... it was good grounding. It was good. They were great musicians, you know. Don Hayward. I was looking at them up the other day. The Velours. They're all American guys. Great singers. You know, fantastic singers. That's what they're called, the Fantastics. Yes, absolutely. Because, <laughs> but they were great singers. It was were... a privilege, really, to play with them. Well, I know that um, I did... I learned a lot. I, I did an interview with... Um, Fast Eddie, who was in Motorhead, and I remember him saying that he played with someone called Otis. It was one of those kind of bands that you just played for years and you just learned, yeah. you learned how yeah. to, to, you know, you, you yeah. kind of, you, you got the, the... What not to play. Yeah, and, um, and how to live that lifestyle. But also, you know, you, yeah. you learn the guitar in your room, you vaguely know what you're doing, well, kind of. You have a bit of potential, but you need to be knocked into shape, don't you? And it's kind of... Yeah. Being in a band with older people, being on the road every That's night, playing the stuff and learning how to deal with it all, and um, and being able to unload the van at four in the morning. 
Yeah. Which is... Well, that's, I lived that life for a long... I did a lot of stuff, you know. I moved to London and I met... We got to do a lot of Island Records with Brand X. We started a group called Brand X who were like a jazz rock band. And when I was there, I met Jim Capaldi and Steve Wingwood and all the traffic people, you know. And that was an amazing time. That yes. was in about 75, you know. That was a whole new era. And it was, I joined Jim's band. Traffic had split up. You know, we were all down at Island Records most of the time. We got a deal with them, you know. And which was fantastic. We got free studio time and rehearsals and retainers, and it was a good time. Yes, it'd walk in and Bob Marley would be sitting in there, <laughs> you know, and Sandy Denny and Jack yeah. Stevens. Did you, know, you... I played with all these people? And it was great. You know, I did a lot of sessions. Blimey! At that Island Records time. Did you? Um, was, you know, I was going to say because I know that. At the end of the sixties, Jimi Hendrix had, you know, had that amazing period with the experience, and then the next period. And he, there was kind of, was there a rumor that that he was going to collaborate with Steve Winwood at that stage? Yeah, what? of course. Yes, well, Chris Wood and his wife Jeanette, they were. I mean, Jeanette was one of Jimmy's ex-girlfriends, and Chris was a real good mate of. I lived with Chris and Jeanette for about a year and a half, and uh, they were dear, lovely people, you know. And uh, they didn't talk a lot about Jimmy, only to say that he was a really great guy and sweet, you know. Yes. But Chris had played on a lot of Hendrix's stuff. So, and, uh, so you, you, you know, must they were have... all mates, you know, from America. Traffic were big in America. Yeah, because there was another guitarist. They were hugely big, yeah. Because I was going to say, there was another guitarist who was a, you know, a hot shot during that early 70s, which was all late 60s, early 70s. Yes, Randy California, who was in Spirit. and he. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And he had played with Hendrix or had had a bit of tuition. Yeah. So did you, yeah. fi- did you find, as the young kid with the guitar, did, did you find that people were kind of keen to, to give you some, yeah, kind of, less, not lessons, but, you know, advice on, on bits and pieces? I was always pretty hot when I was young anyway because I was a huge fan of Jimmy and I saw Jimmy Hendrix a couple of times we saw him play with Abby me and Paul went on a motorbike and rode right up to the front of the stage and there was Jimmy doing his thing you know it was amazing no security in them days no just a lot of naked hippies (laughs) smoking weed and campfires and <laughs> yes. Painting their bodies with groovy colours. That so dancing what, around. It was great. It must have been very nice. What what, what festival was, was that? That was uh, that was Woburn Abbey. I Woburn. think it was about nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, so that's and it cool. was Hendrix was really on for me. Was great. I yeah. saw him at the nineteen seventy Isle of Wight, and he was you know he'd pretty much lost it by then. I think he was tired and. It wasn't a good show, that one. No, it looked And a he bit... died not long afterwards, you know. Yes, well, the 60s he did... took thought... 20 sleeping pills, you know, drank a load of wine. Yeah. Stupid. I'm 20, told... you know, one would be enough, wouldn't it? it That's would've... why he died, he choked. Yes, it was all rather Everybody grim. Everybody knows that story, yeah. But did you... But Jimmy was my hero. He was a fantastic player. And, you know, I was just listening to him the other day and realising, you know, what a great player he was. No wonder he's all guitar players are in awe of Jimmy, you know. Yeah. His, his feel was, was fantastic, you know. 
Well, I know there was something so natural. I mean, obviously he put the hours in, but there was something quite magical about the way he. It wasn't. It wasn't laboured or anything difficult. No, His fingers. It was natural, yeah. And the sound. He, he was made. a real spirit, you know, a real spaced out guy. Yeah. He loved Mad Magazine and comics, and <laughs> you know, he was a funny guy. He told lots of stories about little Richard when he was in his band. Funny stories, you know. Yeah, and that must have been, I was going to say, that must have been kind of strange, because you had that experience of the 60s, experiencing both the early, the Stones period with the blues, and yeah. and then the Technicolor period with the 67 Summer of Love, and the 14-hour Technicolor Dream at the Alley Pally, and then the explosion, not just of we, but also LSD, and the great kind of yeah. counterculture, so that must have been young, it, yeah. it must have blown your mind a bit. And I loved it. I loved it. I was a, I was a hippie, really. I'd sleep anywhere, you know. I'd yes. leave town with money and go to Europe, <laughs> <laughs> which people don't do that anymore. No. Mind you, you could hitchhike then. No one. Would, I wouldn't pick somebody up now. No, hitchhiking murdered or something. Hitchhiking's a very sort of strange thing. I I just was thinking about that the other day. I used to sort of just kind of hitchhike occasionally. But then, did you get that sense as as the sort of about seventy seventy one when you know Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin died? You had Altamont and the sixties. A lot of it was kind of coming a bit to the close. But I mean, you still had people like. The Stones bringing out Exile on Mainstream. Yeah, I, I thought they... I mean, by that 70s, I would kind of thought the Stones had off. I thought they'd had their day, really. Yes. But, little did I know that they'd be going on and on and on and on forever, you know. Yes. Well, the Mick, I thought their early stuff was best. Yeah, but there that Mick Taylor period when he was on guitar. There was something... Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, it was honky-tonk women and all that, you know. Yeah. Great, yeah. So with the 70s, because this is when, you know, I'm at that age where the early 70s, you know, I was getting obsessed with Top of the Pops and the charts. And then luckily <laughs> it was it was like David Bowie was that moment on with Space Oddity that I was thinking, wow, that's going to be my first ever single, which was a kind of a big gig because you had to save up money to to buy it and all that kind of malarkey. So how, yeah. but you would, you were kind of in serious muso land. You weren't into the... the yeah, I was... I was playing with some really serious players by the mid seventies. Yes, it, it was pretty crazy stuff, you know. And I was, to be honest, I wasn't really that into it. You know, I was, Phil Collins joined the band, you know, from he was still in Genesis, and um, you know, the, suddenly we were all like sacked, <laughs> 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 and I was, I was really unhappy about that because I wasn't really into it you know I, I wanted to play soulful blues feel music I didn't want to play a million notes a minute you know yes so what so, so what band so then I, I, I got into a whole different thing you know I toured with Jim a lot I did five albums with Jim Capaldi and I loved Jim and we had a fantastic time touring and making albums and it was a great band of Great musicians in his band. I, I think that's probably the best band I've ever been in. Yes. And then into the 80s, I, joined, I, mean, I, I had a whole change again. I joined Pete Murphy's band from Bauhaus. And that was a real change. <laughs> and I was seven years working for... Yes. And that, that was an interesting experience. So Probably that... four or five albums. Yeah. Lots of world tours. 
Absolutely. So you did, you know, because because it's kind of interesting because the the sixteen to eighteen year old is always there and they're obsessed with the latest single and the, the latest thing. And anybody over the age of twenty five doesn't really understand why they're into it. So <laughs> you'd because 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 obviously in the sixties you were right on the zeitgeist of the you know that kind of explosion that teen explosion. And then then in the seventies, obviously you weren't kind of like in the teen scene, but you weren't in the prog scene either, were you? You were sort of in kind of suits. Well, I, I sort of was, but I met a lot of people at Ireland that I really got on well with them. people like Remy Kabaka and Chris Wood and I played on their records I did quite a lot of sessions for other people and it that really sort of broadened my horizons a little bit you know yes and, and I mean it was interesting really sort of creative stuff interesting stuff yeah. I listen to it now and it still sounds good you know amazingly people send me stuff you know, the, the gigs that we did that I've never heard, and it's sort of quite amazing. Sometimes it's... I'm pleased about that. Absolutely. I, I always made an effort to play well, you know. Well, yes, absolutely. And then, so as the 80s progressed, this is the kind of decade that I'm, you know, particularly obsessed with, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, did, you know, and, and there was definitely, you know, because punk came along. How did you cope with punk? Well, I, I played on some of the records, <laughs> I played on Becky Bondage, you know. She, I mean, she's some of her records. You, I couldn't even repeat the title. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I'm not going to say what the title of the record was because it sounds a bit crazy, a bit outrageous. So what? But no, I, I, I didn't mind that. I, I liked. I like anything, mate. You know, anything's yes. all right for me. If it's rocking, it's good. So, what other punk? What was the artist you played with or for? When? No. Oh, no, in the, in in the, the punk, 80s. No, in the punk period. Who was the person you said you... Well, well you know, well, the, I, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't embrace the punk era, put it like that, but I was did a lot of sessions down at um, Matrix Studios off Tottenham Court Road with my mate Nigel Frieda, who I still do stuff for. Yes. And uh, everyone was down there, the exploited, the damned, you know... Yes. Oh, you know, they were all in there, freaking out and making it being as outrageous as possible, you know. So were you a kind and, of... Good... And uh, Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. Yeah, but... Susie, I remember the, that whole scene. They weren't, actually, most of them were actors. They were nothing like what they were trying to portray, you know. I mean, no. Susie, Sue, is posh. Who speaks like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, it's, it wasn't, I wasn't convinced, you know, but I could see they were having a good time, so what, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Plug it in, crank it up and go crazy, you know. So were you a kind of a guitarist for hire sometimes and they say, look, we... Yeah, most of the time, still am. <laughs> yeah. So who did you, who did you play with or for, you know, or, you know, any particular bands during that punk period? Well... Well, the punk period was the seventies. I was, I played with a group called Zen Attack, which was Bryson Graham, who's a fantastic, was a fantastic drummer. He's, he's not alive now, unfortunately. He's sad, but he is a he was an incredible musician. He played with everybody as well, you know, Peter Frampton and Spooky Tooth and all those sort of sorts of seventies rock bands, you know. But he was a a punk at heart, Bryson. And we had a group called Zen Attack, and we we played what we called sophista metal. 
and it was, <laughs> it was kind of, I mean, we made one album, and it's still it's still available, and you know, I Bryson's vocals weren't too good, but the playing was really out of this world. It was great. You know? Yes, absolutely. And did you at but, that stage, because then, you know, after the punk, and as you said, it was probably a lot of kind of performance and art, um, yeah, just people acting. But then you had that kind of, there was a bit of a post-punk period with people like Gang of Four and uh, Magazine. Yeah, and people. well, well when, I, when I did my audition for some, for Pete Murphy's band, because Bauhaus had split up, I didn't really know anything about Bauhaus and Bella Lugosi's dead, you know. And that guy from Gang of Four had auditioned for me and he didn't get the job. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't my cup of tea, you know. But So I went along to John Henry's and did the auditions and um, got the job, you know. Yes. It was right up my street. I, it's interesting. I was, you know, I can adapt to pretty much anything. And the musicians were great. And in a way, we, um, we transformed Pete's kind of very basic... Pete's a great performer. He's an incredible, you know, artist, really. Yes, I he, agree. He's a remarkable guy. Yeah. You know, not the easiest bloke in the world to get on with. <laughs> no. So I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> but the band was fantastic. We did some of the most incredible concerts with Pete once we got well-oiled. Yes. And his touring schedule is like, and through the roof, really. You've never seen anything like it, you know, like being in the SAS, working through him. <laughs> Monday, Heathrow, you know, Tel Aviv, Tokyo, New Mexico, New York, LA, San Francisco, you know, it's like that for years. Excellent, that must have... I've, I've, I've seen his recent touring schedules and it's even worse than that. So I'm sort of, I hear he had a heart attack. Yes, he had a bit of a stroke. Poor old boy. But yeah, so look, so then after the that that sort of post-punk period, which obviously there was by then there was a lot of kind of drugs and people getting quite strung out with with life, and so that didn't last particularly long. And and there was yeah. quite a few people got quite damaged. And then you know in about eighty three there was kind of the indie pop sound, which I particularly loved, like the bands like the Smiths and the Go Betweens and the June Brides and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, the Smiths. Yes, they well, were. They did that. Stuff at Matrix. John Porter produced the Smiths. Yes, that first album. At, at, at Matrix. John Porter's a good friend. Yeah. After I, I did sessions for him years ago. I saw him recently, actually. Yeah. I, I, he doesn't really get the credit he deserves because a, a lot of those, you know, the really the best Smith stuff was um, was down to him, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then, he, but he's a great producer. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so with the Pete Murphy, you auditioned, which must have felt quite peculiar after your your decades of playing with different people. And how did you get the kind of nod? I did lots of auditions. People ask me, you know, they're looking for guitarists. I'd, I'd audition for the Pretenders, and I got the job with Chrissy Hines. <laughs> but I didn't want to do that. No, I didn't, I didn't think they were really knew what. Like she didn't really know what she was doing at the time, so and I had another gig, so I didn't do it. Yeah. But I got the job. I did some of the rehearsals. I loved her music. Chrissy Hines' music is great. You know, she's a great writer. Yes, absolutely. That first couple of albums, she was rocking. So then with Pete Murphy, so do so you get this gig? 
And and this is yeah. like, so was he putting together a new band after the Bauhaus experience? Yeah. And yeah. so he you had a solo career. He'd done an. He was making an album called "Should the World Fail to Fall Apart." Yeah, eighty six. Um, I came in at the end of that. I think I played on one of the tracks on that. Yes. With a, a the producer was uh, John Fryer. He, he was a good producer. Actually, he did Nine Inch Nails and all that early stuff. Yes, but then they so, they toured. They supported us on the tour in America. Nine Inch Nails when they first started. Nice. They were amazing. I they imagine. blew us off. Actually, Murphy got the album. He didn't like it. They were in Trent Reznor. They're good mates now. Yes. Wow. Once you Trent was, you know, he was like a sergeant major. He had these young guys, and he was ripping them into shape. You know. Yeah. He was phenomenal, really. Yes, he was. I'm not surprised. And James Addiction, they supported us. Yeah. So when you were go- like so when you went into the studio to do Love Hysterical. Love but- Hysteria. <laughs> Love Hysteria. Hysteria. I mean, did did that sort of by the, by then you'd obviously done the first well, you'd only played on one track on the first album and then- no, we, that was a residential place. Jacobs. We all would go to these studios and stay there for a month, you know. Yes. <clears throat> and um, just work and work and work day and night. Yeah. So that yeah, that was it was hard work. They were always hard work. It was it was a hard working outfit actually. Yes. And then we'd go on the tour and, and that was hard work. God, it's not an easy but life. We had, but we had but the band was amazingly good. You know, I'm still well, I'm still mates with the the, the guys. Paul Statham, Eddie Branch. Eddie was in a punk band. Yes, but then, but it was UKDK. UKDK, indeed. But then you do the third album, which is Deep, and that is that is a bit of a classic, isn't it? Yeah, it is now. It's the biggest selling one. Yeah, and that was it. Was it Rockfield? Rockfield, yeah. The famous rock. So was that also a residential experience? Yes, yes. I saw a TV program about it recently. I know. We all did. It was great. So what was your... Yeah, yeah I, I was going to... remember sleep being drunk and laying in a field full of horses. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember doing a couple of solos. And that's about it, really. Simon Rogers was a great producer, too. He was good. Yes. Cut you up. You know, it was all sounding great. So... That was a, a big-selling album in America. Yeah, and that interestingly, is the song that I still think is his best work ever. Yes. So can you remember well, recording um, Cut You yes, Up? I, yes, I can, yeah. So how did that come together? So, <clears throat> all down to Simon Rogers, really. He's a really great producer, great musician. You know, he was meticulous. He'd programmed stuff, you know. We did, we did rehearsals. But it, none of it was live. It was all layered and meticulously done I mean that's that's the way Simon works yes and it, you know I remember working with him I liked working with Simon because he was a guitar player too and we'd experiment you know yeah. I remember doing the solo on uh, what's it called Roll Call the track called Roll Call in the middle there's a yes sort of a, a Turkish delight solo <laughs> <laughs> and me and Simon worked on that together yeah yeah, I saw an interview with Pete once, and he and he took the credit for it. 
he was asleep at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. said, oh, yeah, that was my idea. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> but what was quite interesting about Cuts You Up uh, with that song, it sounds like there's some sort of either a violin or viola or something, but there isn't, is there? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a sample. It's a sample. Right. But it does... Um... It's not a synth, yeah. So what... It's no big deal, that. Well, God. But we but... did it live. We used to play it live, and we did it magnificently well live. We did the Greek theatre in L.A. I remember that. It was awesome, you know. Yeah. Some of the, that tour we did for Deep in America was great because we did all that stuff live, and it was good. It was a big show, you know, big gigs. Yes, absolutely. And obviously because of his... And then he dumped the whole band. I thought you retreated to Turkey. I thought biggest mistake he ever made. Yeah, that was a big. But I thought you played on Holy Smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played. Oh God, that was an experience. Yes, his follow-up album about two years later. So, what was? Why was that a a kind of? Were were things quite strange? Was this a a, a kind of a bit? Oh, Mike Thorne, Hoggy, we called him. The producer. Yes. Well, I think we can improve on the last album, he said. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I better not say too too much. No. But Mike Thorne, his his claim to fame was Tainted Love. Mark Armand, he produced that. Right. So I think he got lucky, really. He got very lucky. Because after that, he didn't do anything. And Mm. he somehow managed to blag the job of doing this album for Pete. Holy smoke, you know. And we all knew pretty much straight away that he wasn't he was no Simon Rogers, you know. Yes. Simon was great. We should have continued working with him. So I th- I think that was the end of the road really, Holy Smoke. Yes. I remember going to America to tour it. By just by the end of the American tours we were we turned it into something that sounded great, you know. But that's because of the band were great. We could have turned anything in and made it sound good, you know. But was that, it, wasn't, that wasn't a good album. I didn't like it. No. I and fell was over. It, I couldn't play anymore. Yeah. I and collapsed. Did, did, it, um, did it feel when you were trying to put it together that it wasn't working? Did, and did, yeah. And what's that like as a musician when you're thinking, Jesus, this Soul is... Soul-destroying, David. Absolutely. I remember sitting on a chair thinking... Mike Thorne was sitting there and he had a sound that went doo, 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 doo. and he went, well, Peter, I think this would be very poignant for the piece. Check this out. Doo, 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 doo. He went, mm, I really like that. And I, I just thought, oh, this is the end for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go on. <laughs> I can't play. My fingers just refused to play. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that, I'm afraid. Yeah, but interestingly, because and look, the tour it, was great. Yeah, but you'd got a lot of more additional musicians in, so the studio must have been full of little busy bodies and people thinking, "What am I doing with my violin on this number?" Then no, no, it wasn't like that. It wasn't it? people on their own, always on their own. Right. You know, it's just like trying to get some extra people in, you know, to, I don't know why, Pete and, and Mike Thorne just prattling about, really. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It was sort of a frustrating experience. 
Because that's all I'm going to say about yeah, it. Yeah, well, no, that's fine. But because I, I sort of realised, you know, when I was younger, I was quite into football and, you know, football teams. And they'd, they'd often say, oh, look, the manager's lost the changing rooms. You know, they, you know, the players aren't playing for them anymore. Do you, is that sometimes the experience then with being in a band, that the band are sort of there in one corner thinking... Fucking hell, this is hard going. While the you know, the writer, say, you know, like in this case, you know, Pete, yeah. and the producer yeah. were saying, no, this is great. We've got a vision, and everyone else going, well, they're the only two or three who've got What's this. Was it? Is it a kind of a similar thing that the rest of the band are in the canteen, just thinking, I just could do with a beer here. Very much so. You know, anyone that's been in a band and made albums and done tours for for a few years. Will have experienced that, you know. Yes. So I, I, it can turn you in. It can make you cynical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not like me to be cynical, David. No, no. Actually, <laughs> cynical is quite. I could imagine there's a lot of eye rolling experience, trying to sort of not say anything, but just thinking, Jesus Christ. Well, it takes a lot. To, you know, that's what I loved about Terrell Bryan, Eddie Branch, and Paul Statham. They are, they're like soul brothers. Even now, all these years later, we still keep in touch with each other and we've got a bond. Yeah. Because we did so much together and we learned how to get on and how to be cool, you know. Yes. When we called him the Fuhrer, Mr. Murphy. <laughs> but the Fuhrer would fly ahead. We'd be partying on the bus, you know. <laughs> but when we heard the Fuhrer was arriving... It wasn't a happy day, you know. No, no, you had to... That's sn- all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. So with <laughs> with so obviously you actually toured the album, which was kind of um, impressive. I mean, as you... What, well, Holy Smoke you're talking about? Yeah, the, the, yes, that one. You yeah, took- we toured that. Yeah, we did. And it was good. Yeah. But I remember some of the... Fa- I remember the first gig we did in America. I can't remember where it was. But it was a big outdoor... Sh- one of those sheds, you know, 10,000 people, something like that. And some of the fans who used to follow us around came back and said, what is this album? This isn't going to sell. What have you done making an album like this? I'll never forget that. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You're dead right. <laughs> <laughs> have I said too much? <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. But I loved being in the band. We did some fantastic concerts, especially in Japan. Yes. In L.A., we were a big deal in L.A. Yeah. Not that I like L.A., but the gigs were amazing, you know. Yeah. Universal Amphitheater and the Wilton Theater. We did three nights. The Greek Theater, mega, you know. Yeah. Palladium. So that band, that band with you, with Terry on drums, Eddie and Paul, and yourself in guitar, you were the yeah, business. the hundred then. men, the hundred men. The hundred. Legendary. Yes. A hundred men were legendary. <laughs> There's lots of fans. I still get stuff. Loads of stuff. Excellent. And it was a great band. There's lots of those videos, those little TV shows and stuff. You can see it. Check yeah. it out. Amazing. The Dennis Miller show. So as a, as a band and a, well, you know, and a musician, is it the case that you're kind of on a contract? So it's like, right, we've got you for this studio time. Now we've got you for this tour. Is it the case that you're just kind of like, as they say, a kind of, well, we've, we've got the work up to that point, but then after that, we'll just see what happens. Well, I mean, it depends. You know, I, I don't really do contracts myself because I don't want to be tied to anything. If I don't like it, I want to be able to walk out, you know. Yes. 
So uh, we were never contracted to Murphy. There'd be like publishing deals and stuff like that. I'd, I didn't get into any of that. The writing was mostly Paul, Paul Statham and Pete Murphy. Yeah. We'd get them the odd little bit. They'd give us like half a percent, you know. Nice. <laughs> between <laughs> the rest of the band. It was all about money, unfortunately. Yes. I'm getting cynical now. No. <clears throat> well, that's fine. But then, so when, when the tour finished, was it the case that you you just... Uh, <laughs> I've got a good one for you. Oh, good. Chris Gilbert, the, the, the uh, manager at the end of that Holy Smoke tour, or the deep tour, I can't remember which one it was, but he said, well, he called us into his office for a meeting, you know, said, well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Good news is you've made a million dollars on this tour. But the bad news is it's all gone. We've <laughs> spent it all <laughs> on lights and trucks and PAs and crew and hotels and flights. And so I'm sorry, there's no money left. So you can get anything. Do a whole tour and get nothing. Blimey. You know, that's, not, that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? Yes. <clears throat> Blimey. So does that, so that literally means you didn't get kind of paid for that whole work? Yeah, well, we got, we got sort of retainers and a little peanuts, really. Yeah. We, didn't, we never made a lot of money. No. David, it was not financially rewarding. No. But it was, you know, good fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was good fun. And as a musician, I guess that's where... So then, then, where, can you remember the last time you saw Pete and, and sort of... I, sp I spoke to him um, about, about a year ago. He, did, he phoned me. He was in Turkey and he did a little video thing. He's, you know, he's all right. He's got his problems, you know. Yes. I well, don't say too much about that. No, I mean... I do, uh, it, what I'll say about Pete is... He's a, a fantastic, you know, performer. He's a star. He's, he, he lives on stage, you know. Yes, absolutely. But I think, you know, he's, uh, he's had a few problems, you know. Yes. I know. Well, I think it was this year that actually Bauhaus were going to reform, which was quite um, a big moment for everyone, but then it all stopped. So, um, tricky. Yeah, well, they have difficulties. Difficult getting on with each other, you know. Well, it's yes. Pers it's a personality thing. Yeah, there's quite a, the, the four of them. They, they've got they've got history, haven't they? So then, with you and the hundred men, do you all just kind of literally walk se a separate route out of um, rock and rollville? Well, we, we all carried on working, doing different things. I I never stopped. I was doing. I've done all sorts of stuff since then. Yes. So, so, so what happens to you during the rest of the 90s? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the 90s, oh yeah. Oh, I got into um, just working with mental health clients. That's what I did. Okay. Yeah, which was great. I, you know, music and art, you know, I, I did years of that. Yeah. And I really loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Working with people with schizophrenia, I made a lot of friends. And uh, that was a real change. It was great to get away from the music biz and the crooks and the lawyers and the... Yes. 
Crazy. Know, and work with real people yeah. with real problems. I, I, I took to that like a duck to water, actually. So, and I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Then, you know, I'd do gigs and I'd go, I'd take time and go off to the States and do some recording sessions or I'd do a, stuff with Jimmy and Jim Capoli did some stuff. And we did a little tour in America with Jimmy, moved to Brazil. We reconnected, you know. Yeah. We were writing. We were going to do a tour of just the two of us. You know, like we did a little, a few gigs in the States, Philadelphia and New York. And uh, it was great, you know. It would have been, I was really keen on that because he was a good mate and he'd moved to Brazil. But uh, we reconnected and, uh, you know, we had a great friendship. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, he got ill and he got cancer and he died. Yes. Which was a bit of a shame. Yes. Because I think, uh, you know, our tour of America would have been really, really great. Yeah. Just the two of us, acoustic guitars, little clubs, you know. Absolutely. He would, be, he would tell stories about his, the old days, you know. <laughs> yeah. A bit of a raconteur. Well, he so was great. I loved him. I miss him. Yeah. And then as we sort of went through the millennium, what happens for the next kind of decade? Do you still sort of work in mental health and then do... No, no, I, I, I stopped doing that eventually and I went back to just playing, just, you know, whatever. I did a stint with Bill Wyman's band, which was great. We played at the Led Zeppelin um, concert in 2007, was it? Oh, yes. At the O2. We played at that. Did you? With, yeah, and that was amazing. How did you manage to get that gig? Because I thought they, this is their one-off, this massive event. I remember the news and, and everyone getting very excited. Harvey Goldsmith, and it, you know, Bill's pretty clued up, you know. <laughs> They're like the mafia, these guys. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I read it actually in the papers, you know, support will be Bill Wyman's Ribbon Kings, and I thought, how did he manage to get that? The next thing I got a call saying, oh, we need a guitarist. <laughs> that can play uh, all right now, like Paul Kossoff, you know, with with um, Paul Rogers. Yes. And I said, yeah, I'm I'm up for that, you know. And it was great as well. I, I loved it. But there was a whole lot of people, Paolo Nutini, and you know, we did uh, um, Percy Sledge and Solomon Burke. Yes. Stand by me. What's his name? Benny King. Benny King. Benny King. You know, we, just meeting these people was amazing. Absolutely. Bill was really cool with everybody, you know. Albert Lee, playing with Albert Lee was great. Yeah. So yeah. so just going back to that concert with Led Zeppelin, did, how long did you, how long was the set that you were going to play and how long did it take to rehearse and get Well, we, 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 we backed up all the support acts. I mean, there was lots of other bands on. There was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and, and you know, a whole. It was supposed to be an Atlantic Records, you know, Armit Ertigan sort of, you know, I don't know celebration <laughs> where all the all the best Atlantic Records acts performed. Yeah. But Harvey Goldsmith turned it into a Zeppelin event to make money. Is the bottom line, you know? Yeah. Tickets were selling for 5,000 quid and stupid stuff like that, you know. All the band were rushing out and selling their backstage parties. 
<laughs> running off. Yeah, I'm going to have a guy out the back who you know, give you like 200 quid for that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But it was, you know, I, I don't think that they want... I know Jimmy Page and the others wanted to keep doing the tour. They wanted to do a whole tour. Harvey Osmond wanted them to do a huge tour because it would have made a fortune. Yes. But I think Robert Plant is smart enough. I mean, he's a nice guy. I've met him a few times. He was smart enough to, you know, say no. Once that's enough, you know. Yes. And did uh, and did you stay to watch the whole evening, or did you sell your pass and run off? Oh, I sat behind backstage, and you never heard such a racket in your life. <laughs> it's like World War Three, you know. Yes. A huge. They brought a massive extra PA stuff in. I don't think it was a very good concert, to be honest with you. It was a Zeppelin concert. Yes. I think, I think it was hyped up. It was always going to be a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, and it's without John Bonham, it's nothing. It's not there anymore, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, just going back slightly, because I don't know if you came across a band in the 70s, the early 70s. They were very small, but they were quite slightly legendary, called the Global Village Trucking Company. And they were kind of like, they, they lived in a kind of hippie commune. There was a guy called um, Jeremy Lascelles and his brother, um, which I can't remember, James Lascelles. They were two brothers who were quite wealthy but um there were the lead singer john owen who i spoke to said that after the band and after various other uh, things that he did in life he he spent the rest of his life well still does working with you know people with kind of you know on various spectrums and learning difficulties so obviously you know he said he could use the music that he'd learned through that from that period to sort of help others cool yeah good which obviously made him feel life was good and there was something to, to keep going. So then, so did you also have that feeling as well? Well, I think so, yeah, sure. <clears throat> you can do anything to help other people. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? You know? Yes, absolutely. I I mean, I I the most rewarding stuff I've ever done is it's not been parading about on a stage with wearing makeup. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's working with people that have got problems, you know, and them saying thank you to me. I got letters when I left, and it was real heart-rending stuff, you know. Yes. Some of the people I work with were not, are not around anymore, you know, and I miss them. Yeah. What I found with those kind of people is they're real, they're genuine, real people. There's no pretentiousness about them. They're not greedy, they're not trying to make money. You know what I mean? They've got a proper deal. Yeah. And they, t they tend to be more you know, spiritual, if you like, you know, more yeah. honest, more real. That, that's a pleasure to be around that after you've been in the music business. <laughs> yeah. Put all the crooks and the charlatans in the, oh man. <laughs> a strong man to survive that lot. Yes. I, I, I try to advise young people. I'm working with Fran Pegg. I've got to mention Fran Pegg. Yes. He was a great singer, 22-year-old, fantastic blues singer. We've just made an album. And, you know, I'm trying to steer her away from all the, the horrors of the music business. And she's real. She's great. She's talented. And uh, this album we've made is, is a real good one. Right. No, no, nothing's programmed. It's all played. Son of Dave's on it. 
Richie Stevens, great drummer. And we're just in the process of mixing it. Yes. But it's good. It sounds good. So, you know, I try, I'm trying to help her while I'm, you know, she's got a record deal. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to steer her in the right direction because I think she could really make a name for herself. Fan, she's great. Fan Peg, don't forget. Check that out, actually. Gin House Blues. Yeah. And did you, I mean, just briefly, I mean, when you were growing up, did you come from sort of quite a musical house? I mean, how did you sort of learn to be, you know, such a, you know, guitarist? Well, it, no, it was me and Paul. We still, I still played with my brother Paul, the fabulous Bonus Brothers. We do quite a lot of little gigs. We play ragtime and old blues. And uh, we were we started together, 11, 10, 11 years old, you know. We yeah. bought guitars. We, the Beatles had just come out and the Stones, and we just learned everything, you know. We, we still do. We st- I still go around his house, and we get the guitars out and play, you know. We love playing. Yes. I mean, that, that's it, really. That's the end of story. We love playing. We love guitars. Yeah. They're things of great beauty and aesthetically pleasing. You know, people hang them on their walls. <laughs> they don't even play them. <laughs> no, you just look <laughs> just at hang them. Hang them up. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we love guitars. We love playing. It's, it's, it's something that when there's no one else around, you can get it out. And it's, it's like a friend, you know. You can lose yourself in it. Practice, yeah. practice. You know, you can get good. Yes. I mean... You can express yourself. When you can actually express yourself, you know, through, through an instrument, it's a real, you know, you can, you can connect with people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it kind of brightens this world up as well, which is quite extraordinary. But yeah. did, did you, I mean, what, if you could have said any advice to your, say, younger self starting out in music, you know... And say that again. If you could have given yourself some advice when you were starting out in music from what you've learned over the decades, I mean, I yeah, just wonder, uh, yeah. what, would you, what would you have just whispered in their ear to say, oh, by the way... So be careful who you get mixed up with. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your friends very carefully. Is it kind of friends or because you can choose your friends, but who you work with is a bit tricky because if you need the gig, you yeah. kind of got to say yes, haven't you? Well, you don't have to say yes. No. You can, you can think, I don't like this guy or this girl. Yes. I'm out of here, you know. I, I I I mean that. I don't. I actually mean that. I think you get mixed up with the wrong crowd. You know, you, your life can take a different direction. Yeah. In the wrong in the wrong direction. You know. Quite quickly. You but... hang around with the cool people, the good people, sincere people. I like religious people. You know. Yes. That that they're honest. I love people that you know that are, that are real. That's what you want. Real man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, I mean, which kind of period do you look back and think, that was great, we really did have a good, you know, everything was kind of working pretty good. I mean, nothing can be 100%, but sometimes things are like, oh, yeah, that was quite easy, and we, we had some good times, but we did some great stuff. Well, I, I think Jim Capaldi in the late 70s, the tours we did in Europe and Portugal and Spain... 
France, Germany, most all of Europe we toured. We had a fantastic band. Yeah, and it, it was just writing and playing the whole time. It was like a really fantastic time. Yeah, yeah I look back on that and think, yeah, that was that was probably my favourite memory. Really, best band I was in. Yeah, great band. Alan and, Spencer, fantastic. Yeah, mm. and what about kind of the, any period that you think? Well, it was all right, but I wouldn't have done it again. Looking. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know, really. I'm not sure about that one. No. But, uh, everything's an experience, isn't it? You know. Yes. You say, yeah, like you said, you say, well, we need the gig. So you go, yeah, okay. I'll do the and gig. And even if there's always a good side to everything, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, some of those Murphy albums, the making of. That uh, Holy Smoke album was grim, but once we got out on the in America on the tour, you know the band whipped it all into shape and it was sounding pretty good. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Playing live is really what it's all about. Absolutely. And if you get, if you've got a good unit, a good tight unit, and you rehearsed, you've got your act together. You know, there's a real buzz at performing, playing. You know. Yeah. And recording what? is fraud. Yes, I could imagine that. That <laughs> trying to find the magic fairy dust is always tricky. Yeah, it's very tricky. That's right, that is right. <laughs> it is very tricky. But did uh, I mean? Did you manage to you know cope in that world? That because you went through that period that I remember when I was younger, people used to talk about it was it's about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And obviously, people have yeah. have time. Oh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> but there was, there was I had a great time with that <laughs> nice good good but um, did you manage to sort of know when to say no to the, the say the yeah. drugs oh yeah, yeah, yeah I mean you can only party so much in the end you know, you know in order to perform well you know with the after gig parties there was always queues of people waiting to get in and Everyone with drugs and booze and everything. You, know. yeah. you just nip right out the back, back to the hotel and get some sleep. You, you become disciplined, you know. Yes. You value sleep. <laughs> and a good bed. You know, you, you you just get good at it. You get good at being professional and, you know, you know when to duck out and go and rest. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the young tend to get wasted. <laughs> I know. Fran gets wasted. Drinks like a fish. She's <laughs> on the, you know, on the belly most of the time. <laughs> but she can handle it at that age. You can. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's that's uh, that's the that's well, the joy. I no, we we always knew when to sort of say no to the drugs and the booze and all that. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't do that. And can you know day after day after day. Traveling long distances and doing a show at night, and then do again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You can't do that if if you're wasted, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got memories of trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work very no. well. <laughs> just and just lastly, I mean, obviously, you were somebody who loved being on the road, didn't you? And yeah, I did love being on the road. I love traveling. Yeah. And most people. That's often what splits a band up, you know, that I've found that they go, you know, they, you know, doing the UK is one thing, Europe's a bit, but America often is the thing that kind of makes people go a bit. It depends how you're doing it, you know. If you're doing it in a relative luxury, it's great, you know. 
if you've got, you know, comfortable tour bus and you've got, you know, maybe a couple of days on the bus and then some nice hotel, few days off in between the next gig, you know, that sort of thing. You, it's just possible. Yes. You, you can do that forever. Yeah, some people do. Bob Dylan, apparently, has never come off the road. He's been on yes. the tour that never ends. I know, that's quite <laughs> And Rory Gallagher, he, he never went home. That's Even right. when he went home, he checked into a hotel instead. <laughs> that's right. He didn't ever go back to his house. Nice. Just stayed on the road. I know Lemmy. Lemmy also kind of spent a lot of time on the road, didn't he? Let motor. Lemmy. I knew Lemmy. Did you? Lemmy used to come round to Chris Wood's place in Marble Arch every night. So I knew him quite well, Lemmy. <laughs> <laughs> I came out a few times as well. Yes. He's, got, he's, he's nothing like the character that, is, that he's, he's kind of cracked up to be. You know, he's real intellectual. He was, bless him. You know. Yeah. Well, I, he was I... a little abrupt. But he read a lot, and he was an intellectual, really, and he was very opinionated, you know. Yeah. I remember when he first started Motorhead, he had a drummer called Lucas before he had, you know, Filthy Phil. And all that. <laughs> but uh, he used to come around. I remember I had a lovely Epiphone Casino, old 1967, and he picked it up, and he started thrashing the hell out of it. But I had to get it off him, you know. He would have wrecked it. <laughs> Heavy-handed, you know. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't a fan of, of Lemmy's music. I thought it was rubbish, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I spent many nights with him around at Chris Woods. Yes. He was a, just a hustler, really. He was a lot of speed and every night out, all night. I, I that London scene. You know. Yes. It must have yeah. been. Anyway, look... Where where are you based now? I'm live in Kempston in Bedford. Is it I'm much in my more? house right now, laying on the sofa? Nice, just I'm relax. Yeah. I think we do. Think we're done, David. We are said, done. This is well. Look, Pete. Enough. This is good. You've said fantastic. This has been brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much, and we got it together at last. This is amazing. So, what are you going to do with this? Edit it. And yeah, it. and and um, put it out there into the world. That is the. The radio and, and podcast. Let me know when it's on so I can tune in. Yes, absolutely. But thank you again for this. This has been amazing. I don't mind talking about stuff. Yes. David, it's all right, you know. It's gorgeous. I hope that's okay for what you want. Yeah, no, it's been amazing. Well, thank you for this. It's been brilliant. And um, look, hopefully, all good for Fran and uh, next yeah, year. Yeah, don't forget, give Fran a plug. I will, and I'll go and tune Fran in. Fran Pegg, legend. She's a, she's a Janice Joplin. Cool, nice one. She's, she's a great singer. She's going to do great. it. Great album, we've made a great album. Good, I'll have a listen. Okay. So we'll get you a copy of it in a sun. Oh, nice. Okay, well, thanks, Pete. And look, take care. S stay Thank safe. You. Yeah. And um, All right, David. I'll keep in touch. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Yep, how not to end an interview, really. I know. Saying goodbye, it's so tricky. Anyway, look. Thank you to Pete Bonas for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, God knows why, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to C86 Show. It's all there. And also, these have all been archived, and you can find those on the Spotify, the iTunes, and the Podbean. Just go for it. It's all good. C86 Show, it's good, exciting. Lots of interviews with lots of people. Look, have a good week.
stay safe. Meet up soon. Bye.